Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, we're in a series looking at the purpose of all things. And today we come to Genesis chapter 15 and we're going to look today and next week at covenant. Today we're going to consider God's promise, God's promise. I want to begin with a question. Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? Sure, we all have, have we not? Broken promises create trust issues, which lead to relationship issues. You know, relationships can be built on many things, common goals or objectives. They can be built on aligned affinities or even mutual uh, benefit, personal benefit in some way, shape, form, or another. But every relationship that matters most for life in life is built on one thing, and that one thing is trust. Trust. And so when a promise is broken, it can be very harmful to us, very painful for us. Well, today we're going to look at the most important promise ever made. And get this, never broken. Never broken. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. I'll begin reading in verse 1 through verse 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your great reward, or your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. The most important promise ever made, never Broken. What I want you to walk away with today is this, that God calls people to believe in Jesus by faith as the promise of His Word. God calls us to believe in Jesus by faith as the promise of His Word. Now we must begin this morning by remembering what is meant with, by the words after these things at the beginning of chapter 15. Because immediately prior, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, Abram had walked through a valley of defeat to a mountain of victory. And in both of those circumstances, he demonstrated how it was that his heart was remaining focused on the Lord. He was walking in worship. He was being blessed by God, but he was also being a blessing to other people. He knew defeat, but he also knew victory. And in the midst of that victory, he was practicing faithful stewardship of his whole life to demonstrate that God and God alone was the source 
and the giver of all things. You see, friends, we saw that worship that holds our life centered on the Lord Jesus Christ serves as a guard for us so that our failures don't overwhelm us in defeat and that our victories don't deceive us with bloated pride. Hearing from God is always most clear within us when He is the one who is filling us. And God comforts Abram by commanding him, fear not. Now, interestingly enough, God lays out this command and promise to Abram at his own initiation. Abram had not come to him and asked him as a reminder, but God is the one who demonstrates the value of his reminder. And this is what he says to Abram, fear not. And he points Abram to remember his promise I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You see, God comforts Abram by commanding him not to fear, but then he rests the lack of needing to fear upon his character, upon the promise that he had given. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You know, fear is an ever-present reality for all of us. You know, so often we feel like when there is a fear that arises, That it's something that we need to get rid of, we need to get around, we need to get over. But the fact of the matter is, fear is inherent within all of us. And it's not something to get away from, it's something to properly steward with our life. We need to understand fear. And the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we need to always make sure that our fear is centered in Him and not allowed to stray to other things. But fear is an ever-present reality to be properly stewarded in us, whether the threat is immediately in front of us or looming somewhere ahead of us. And this is where Abram finds himself. And God comes to him at God's initiation, and he says to him that he and he alone will be the only sufficient comfort because he is his shield. And then he reminds him how great his reward is. Will be God directs Abram not just to something, but rather to someone himself. Know my character, Abram, because it will be the anchor for your hope and your trust in me. Friends, God knows what threatens us. Anxiety didn't become an issue with this generation. We talk about it a lot more now than I can remember in the past. But fear and anxiety, cares and concerns are as old as human beings. And God wants us to trust Him to conquer it for us by working in us. This is something this week as I was preparing my message that really struck me as I need to give emphasis to this because I don't think that sometimes we live in the awareness of what I'm about to say. But listen to me, friends. God knows our strengths. Now that's usually something that we can, uh, we can be proud of, that we, that we have no trouble acknowledging that, well, sure God knows my strength. He's proud of me for my strengths. Right? And as parents, we reinforce in our children when they do something good, when, when they excel in something that is their strength, we reinforce them in that. But I want to tell you, the other side of the coin is true as well. God knows our weaknesses. And God is no less disappointed in us in our weaknesses than He is proud of us in our strengths. Why? Why? Because of this, friends. 
Because God is the one who created us uniquely with both. Weaknesses are not a sin. They can lead to sin. But they in themselves are not a sin. And God does not see us as we see ourselves. God does not love us more because of our weakness, our strengths and love us less because of our weaknesses. Rather, weaknesses are not a problem for God, but rather weaknesses in our life along with our strengths are a unique distinction of personhood in the imago dei. The image of God. It's His divine design for our life. But because of this, God understands our greatest struggles. He understands our fears and He understands our temptations. Listen to me, friend. Until you've come to the place where you can accept not only your strengths but your weaknesses. You've not entered as fully into your personhood as God has invited you to be. Because God didn't create us to be self-sufficient and self-sustaining. He created us to walk in relationship with the one who is himself. And until our weaknesses point us equally to God and his sufficiency as our strengths do, God is still drawing your eyes up. He never loves us more because of our strengths. He never loves us less because of our weaknesses. He knows you. Your ins and your outs. Your goings and your comings. And He perfectly understands you. But even more potent for us is He completely loves you. Because of who you are. Do you understand that? He wants you to know that today. In the person he created of you. God is working for his glory. Trust in him is the foundation of our relationship. Yea, it is the impulse of our intimacy and the strength of our trust. You must know Him to trust Him, but you must trust Him in order to grow in your relationship with Him. But so often, discerning the motive in our requests, it demands a ruthless honesty. And friends, what what I want us to see about Abram's request here in verses 2 and 3 is that, that, that Abram is trying to work it out in his mind, right? Like he's heard God's promise and he's seen the lack of reality in it in the world. And so he's trying to figure out how is God going to bring about the promise that he's given to me? Ever found yourself in that place? Surely we all have if we spend any time following God. Abram's trying to work it out in his mind and here's what God's going to tell him. Walk it out with your life. Follow me and I will show you as I do it for you. So in verses 2 and 3, Abram is is not trying to ask for some kind of a trinket from God. He's not wanting a token of pity or it's not even a selfish request. He's just saying, here's the reality as I see them. Eleazar from Damascus, right? What good has he ever done? I mean, I like the guy and I, I want him around me and everything, but he's not my heir. 
You've not given me so much as a son. Breaking news to God, I'm sure. But you see, when he comes to God, Abram, he's failed miserably and he has succeeded. He's experienced God's grace and he knows God's goodness. But now he is inquiring to understand more deeply God's will. The fruit of life, friends, is fueled by a true worship. And that true worship is a desire for more of God's heart. Like that meal that you just had and cannot get enough of. And when hunger pangs strike, it's the one that you return to because its savor went far beyond only your taste buds. It's like it's sitting in your soul as the very longing. Again, it was so good. And though it satisfied at first, it left you desiring for more. And so it is in our intimacy with God. He never fails to satisfy, but He never fails to leave us with His savor and longing for more. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that when we seek God with all of our heart, we will find Him. This week, or actually a couple of weeks ago, in the reading of our, of our prayer campaign, I've read a number of different authors on prayer, and one that has struck me and just actually stuck to me has been from a 19th century Chinese theologian named Watchman Nee. And, and in his book, Let Us Pray, he explains how it is that God ordains his will to be made known on earth. This is what Abram is seeking. He wants to know God's will. And this is what Watchman Nee says about it. I, I want you to entertain these quotes for just a moment because I think they are excellent at explaining it for us. He goes on to write, each time he works, speaking of God, he never goes ahead simply because he has his will. No, he will wait if necessary for people to express agreement in prayer before he acts. The will of God is governed by the prayers of man. I'm going to be honest with you. When I first read that sentence, I, I to the left in the margin wrote no with an exclamation point. Obviously, I'm about to correct this man. Sorry he's had to wait so long for my correction. And then I was the one that got corrected. He goes on to write, Regarding the content of God's will, it is entirely decided by God Himself. Yet concerning the doing of His will, it is governed by our prayers. He looks for the cooperation of man. God Himself does not wish to do anything independently. Just stop for a second. We've already acknowledged that those of us who were not designed to be self-sufficient and completely independent try incessantly to live our lives that way when what God is doing is inviting us to Him. But the very one who is fully sufficient to live fully independent desires not to do that. And it says this, He chooses to have people cooperate with him. The will of God is always in search of a way out. Next time you go to pray for God's will, don't forget that sentence. It's always in search 
of a way out. The Lord is always apprehending someone or some people to be the expression of His will. If many will rise up to do this work, He will do many things because of their prayers. This is the encouragement. Yes, friends, God wants us to know His will by doing His will. And so the question comes to us, is the motive of my prayers for my will to be known? Or is the motive of my prayers genuinely for God's will to be known? We will always know God's will. That's what Jeremiah tells us. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We will know God's will when we seek Him and not just it. God reveals His will to His willing and His wanting people. Willing and wanting. And so in verse 4 and 5, God immediately responds to Abram's working it out. And He says, no, no, Eleazar is not my will. It's interesting to me how God immediately corrects Abram when he veers off the path from understanding his will. He said, well, why didn't he just tell it to him at first? He did. He told him he would give him a son. But Abram said, you haven't given me a son yet. And the only one that's a member of my household that could be my heir is Eleazar. And God said, no, Eleazar clearly will not be your heir. You will have a son. Out of love, God corrects him. Steers him back into his will. He shows him his desire to reveal his will. And he tells him that it will not be the member of his household, but that he will have a son. Listen, friends, God never needs our plan B. But that will often and usually become the option we defer to in order to subvert God's will because we get weary in the waiting. Do you know why you don't know the whole of God's will and plan yet? There's just one reason. I mean, other than the fact that God hasn't told you. It's because the timing's not right. You will know when the timing is right. And there's so much to be done between now and that moment in God's perfect Timing, And so he takes Abram outside and he says to Abram, 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 the time has not come yet, brother. But look up and number the stars if you think you can. Don't you love God's sense of humor? That's what I call divine trash talk. It's all for our good. But God's keeping it where it needs to be. In the arena of wonder and awe. Watch this. He takes him outside, tells him to number the stars if he can. And yet this all with that lingering reminder in the back of Abram's mind that I don't even have a son yet. And God instructs him to lose yourself in the wonder of my promise. And then know this, I will do it. Now friends, don't miss the gravity of this. There is zero, nada, no earthly evidence of God's promise to Abram. Capital Z, capital E, capital R, and capital O, 
zero circumstantial evidence. As a matter of fact, the reality is against what God has promised. And yet, God is in no way threatened. God's promise is in no way insecure or less secure. Listen to me, friends. Here's what I want you to understand about what God is saying to Abram and what God is saying to you and I today. God's promise is more sure than the present reality in which you are living is true. When you want to know God's will and you seek him, here is the anchor, here is the rock you can stand on and you can drill down deep into and you will not be moved from. That no matter what the circumstances are in your life and no matter what the reality seems, what God has said in his word and the promise he's given to you is far more true, inestimably more true, as he points out to Abram, than the reality in which you find yourself right now. I know what feels true. What feels true is what's pressing in upon you. But God says what is true is what I have said to you. And there's where the war of faith happens. We're so addicted to the blessing of seeing and touching that we balk at the demand to hear. But the word of God clearly says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. With God's promise, what has no tangible reality at this present moment is always more certain and more sure than all the reality of this moment. I am confident, I am confident that Abram multiple times tried to count the stars in his thoughts. He went outside and he began to count. And he would get into the numbers where the mind was like, da-da-da-da-da, you know, the thousands and the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands. And then, the, you know, and you put another comma there and you go to the next and you have to, every one, you have to go through repeatedly through that. And he's cycling through and, and, and Sarah comes out and goes, hey, do you want two or three sides with your dinner? What? No, two or three, I don't know. And he has to start all over. I mean, it's just, man, I was almost there. I thought I had, I, had, I had everything in this spot right here that had been counted. Now I've got to start all over. And, and one after the other, each star was echoing more loudly the unimaginably great and the inconceivably big power in God's promise. All Abram could do was to grow weary in his counting. And he was not even making so much as a dent in what was before him. Abram didn't even have a son yet. But grasp this. Grandparents will appreciate this. Without a son, without a child, his grandkids were more numerous than he could count. I don't know this to be personally true in my life yet. But I know what becoming grandparents did to my parents They're not even the same people. That's got to be something miraculous. If you've got kids, hang on. Grandkids are on their way. Abram, listen to this, was wearied by endless wondering in God's promise. Wearied by it, not lost. 
not lost. And not W-A-N-D-E-R, W-O-N-D-E-R. He had spent so long being so overwhelmed and so overflowed by God's majesty revealed to him that it was wearying him. It was wearing him out to try and measure, to try and capture yet a glimpse of God's full promise to him. And you know what God said? That's what I want you to do. If you can just imagine for a moment this state of being in the wearying of wondering at God's promise. And imagine that state of being as your daily reality. Endless, forevermore, wearied in the wonder because of its overwhelming nature and its captivation of your heart and your mind. Friends, when God stakes the sureness and the certainty of his promise on his name and on his power, so can we, so should we. Your faith will always be strongest in you when you simply take time to weary yourself in the wonder And the awe of the promise of God. That seems too good to be true, doesn't it? That's who God is. Too good to be true. And yet He is. Listen to me, friends. If you want an impenetrable faith, immerse, consume, and absolve yourself in the immeasurable glory of God's unending promise. That's what God's inviting you to do when he says, trust in me. That's what God is inviting you to do when he says, believe in me. When he says, have faith. This is the call of God. This is the purpose of God set up on our life. God doesn't call you into a relationship so he can give you the it of his will. God invites you into the relationship so you can get him. So you can know him so you can be known by God. And that's what Abram did. And then look what it did too, and look what it did for Abram. Verse 6. Let me get to verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believes God, and God counted his faith to him as righteousness. Now, this is not the case. Do not be confused as so often arises in our life. This is not the case of Abram knew he could do it and so he agreed to it. That's not what took place here. Abram believed what? That God had the power to do what he promised. So he trusted. How did Abram come to the point to believe that God had the power to do what he had promised he absolved himself in the person and the character and the nature of God and that's where the conviction came of the power that was capable of doing what the promise had said to him these four words are absolutely beautiful and if you'll allow yourself to wonder at two simple, short words in this passage. Are you ready? It and as. Key theological words here. It and as. That's what it says. And it, 
was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what is it referring to? Abram's faith, right? Abram believed. He had faith in God. It was counted to him. What was it counted to him as? Righteousness. Not as his own. It wasn't Abram's righteousness. We've already seen Abram is far, far, far from righteousness in his own goodness. He is everything other than righteousness. And yet he became righteous because of it. Because of his faith. Now God, on the other hand, is completely righteous. He has no need to get rid of his righteousness. He has no need to even give it away. But he desires to. And who is it that God gives his righteousness to? Those who have it, faith. It, faith, and righteousness comes together with this little word, as. You know what that word tells us? It tells us that it wasn't Abram's to have, but God gave it to him as if it was his. It wasn't Abram's to enjoy, but God gave it to him as if he would have the full measure of its benefits and its blessing upon his life. It wasn't Abram's, but he was given it as if it was his because he believed. This is a great exchange, friends, and this is the way righteousness comes to anyone. Faith in God was Abram's righteousness as if it was his own because he believed. God calls people to believe in Jesus by faith as the promise of his word. And, and that's what God is calling us to today. God is leading each of us to this very point today to believe in Jesus and to trust in him. Now Paul's account in Romans uh, helps us understand what it means for us to live by faith by reflecting on this. As a matter of fact, you can't read Genesis 15 without understanding Romans 4, and you can't read Romans 4 without knowing Genesis chapter 15. So turn with me to Romans chapter 4 for just a moment. I want us to understand what's taking place here. I should have put a bookmark here. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, listen to these words. In hope he believed against hope. Talking about Abram here. What does it mean against hope? In other words, the realities of his life said something altogether different than what God had said about his life. Okay? In hope he believed against hope. That, and, and here's the reality. That he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Now, here's what Abram did with that. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Take a deep breath. Verse 24, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him 
who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Friends, drawing on Paul's account and understanding of Genesis 15, I want to pose three questions to you today to settle your life in, in, by faith in Jesus as God's promise. Question number one, verses 18 and 19. Do you believe God's promise that he has power to do what he has said? This question is the catalyst that will either turn you to God or away from Him. If you're here today and you've never come to the point in your life where you've repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ to become a Christian, this is the very point God is proposing to you today, that God stands before you today inviting you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. God made a way in Jesus for the stain of sin upon our soul to be removed from us, to be made righteous before him it's not our righteousness but by faith it becomes our righteousness because when we put our trust in Jesus he puts his righteousness upon us but you must believe in order to receive the free gift and hear me friends I know in your mind and heart there are countless arguments that are immediately being offered to deter you Jesus even tells us that some of those uh, uh, some of those arguments will sound reasonable to you there are family demands and situations that are placed upon you life responsibilities that keep knocking on your door and beckoning for your attention there are more convenient opportunities that seem like the right thing to do right now maybe you can put God on the back burner you've heard he's a loving and gracious God so when you get back to him you can deal with him at that or maybe sometimes you just think you've got a better offer that there's something else going on in this world that's going to be more hopeful and more promising and provisional for you than what God has said to you Jesus said these are all false hopes and false promises but they will deter you if you let them some of these arguments even claim only to be looking for an answer. Maybe one more piece of evidence for proof, and then I'll believe. Every time a step is put in front of you, you take it, and you go, you know, I just need one more. And Though they may sound reasonable, none of them are reasons not to follow him. They're only distractions and excuses, and very much inclined in the way Abram was confronted by the fact of God's promise before him, but the reality of no son from him. You see, friends, the great barrier is not knowledge. The great barrier to God is lack of faith. Let me ask you this. What is your tipping point for faith? The thing that if you identified it and said, if this, then I could believe. And I'll tell you, if you can identify that tipping point, you've identified the very argument that is deterring you from God because it is not standing between you and God from God's direction. It is only standing between you and God from your direction. How many facts must get stacked in order to convince you that God in Jesus Christ is worthy of your faith? I invite you today, believe in God. He alone has the power to do what He has promised. You say, but this is a real situation that stands in front of me. Then put it before God and go, God, I know you want to deal with this, but you can't because I won't trust you. And until I do trust you, I can't watch you work. So today, I'm going to put my faith in you and just trust that you're going to take care of this. Verses 20 and 22 propose question number two. Are you walking by faith in God's righteousness? 
Walking by faith in God's righteousness. Christian, I want you to listen to me very carefully here. Because it tells us against hope, Abram, in hope, belief. There was no unbelief that deterred nor swayed him. He stuck to God's promise. Did you see that? He stuck to the plan. No, he stuck to the promise. He stuck to the promise. He was not perfect, but he was repentant because of faith. Abram didn't need to know all the right doctrine. God didn't create a classroom with a whiteboard and table and chairs and say, sit down, Abram, I've got a lesson for you. Rather, he created a science experiment. And he walked him outside and he said, look up. Look up, that's the blackboard for your lesson today. And every star that I have drawn on there is a piece of chalk that's glistening to you is the way that I'm going to teach you this lesson today. Count them. It's a science lesson. It's a math lesson. It's a literature lesson. Have you listened to what I've said? God called him to believe in his power and his trust that he would give him a son. One son. How could all of this possibly come from one son? Seems even more impossible the more you study it. But verse 20 tells us something about Abram I don't want you to miss. Every step that uh, faith that Abram took strengthened the conviction in his heart of the power of God's promise because he was giving God all the glory. Do you see that? Every time God commanded him to take another step forward, Abram said, I believe in you because I'm listening to your promise, and so I'm going to follow your word. He took another step. And you know what became true? The reality of the promise of God in his life, it was ever more deep in his heart. Every step of obedience by faith drove God's promise deeper within. Listen, if you have anchored yourself and you are digging in your hills waiting on God, God is waiting on you. He's called and he's commanded and he's inviting you to follow. That's why, that's why it says, because Abram believed it was counted to him, not as his success, but a far greater glory than success, his righteousness. Righteousness is the credit we receive from God's victory through Jesus Christ when we trust in him. The issue, friends, is not do I know God's will. The issue is have I trusted to obey his command. We often ask God for the whole picture before we take a step. Abraham shows us this. You never need more than God's word to seek his will. What God has said is all you need, no matter how little it may seem to you in the moment. God is not looking for capable people, friends. God is looking for available people who will believe in him so his will can be done on earth for his glory. Friends, today God is seeking surrendered people, not successful people, to accomplish his will. God knows your strengths. God knows your weaknesses. He doesn't love you more for one or love you less for the other. He knows who you are because he knew you in the womb when he formed you. And he wove you the way you are for his glory. There is no greater glory. And when you trust in him and he puts his righteousness upon you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, great glory for God and good for you comes not only to your life but in your life. That's what Abraham 
shows us. And before you entertain any excuse, let me encourage you today. God is not afraid of your weakness, your inability, your failure, your struggle. He's not afraid of your fear or your anxiety. He knows them better than you do. God's call in your life is never just about you. But by His power, His call has been ordained to flow through you as it completely redeems you. You see, friends, the struggle to follow God's call is real because the work that God is doing in you is remaking you. God brings the full measure of His transforming power in you as He works through you. I urge you, walk today in obedience by faith. Unhinge your heels and take that next step, believer of where you know God has commanded you and watch Him unleash the heavens to show you the full measure of what He has for you. Verses 23 to 25 give us question number three. Do you know that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise? He is the anchor of our faith. He is the author. He is the origin. He is the source. He is the sustainer. Jesus is the reward of our faith. Not what he gives us, but the giver who comes to us. In him and in him alone, we have eternal life with God. And as God commanded Abram, so he says to us, consume your life today with the promise of God in Jesus Christ. You will find that the expanse of his horizon has no end. The height of his majesty is without measure. The measure of his love is never ceasing. The breadth of his power has no limit and the brilliance of his glory will never fade. He will overwhelm you, he will surround you, and he will fully encompass you, but he will never crush you and he will never destroy you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. His promise to you will never be broken. It will never be threatened. And it will never be fractured in any way. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. He is the same forevermore. He is God in human flesh. And as Colossians 1.19 tells us, in Him the fullness of deity is pleased to dwell. Find the pleasure of God today by trusting in Jesus Christ. He's calling to you. You can trust God's promise because in Jesus, every promise is not just a little mumbled yes. It is a resounding yes and amen. Do you know Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? I'm telling you, the heavens will not hold what God has for you, what God will do in you if you will put your faith in him. Let's pray.